0: Welcome to Lost in Translations, I'm your host Michael And today we have a special episode where we are interviewing Peter Bush Who is the translator of many novels Most recently he translated Why, Why, Why by Quim Mazo And he also translated an anthology of short stories called Barcelona Tales Which was edited by Helen Constantine I am joined by Peter Bush, translator of many books. The latest being Barcelona Tales, I believe.
1: Actually, no. I've got. I've had another book published since then, a short, oh. book of short stories by uh, Kim Munzo. Okay. Called uh, Why 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 so Why. That why. came out in uh, October. <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah.
1: There's a story by Kim Munzo in Barcelona Tales, the one about the. Uh, Yes. The boy from yes. the poor background who goes to the rich the rich flat, the house of yeah. the rich family.
0: One of the things I loved about Barcelona Tales is just being able to try so, so many authors. <laughs> it's like a nice collection of different authors from Barcelona or writing about Barcelona. That was I really appreciated being able to try some of these authors I've not yet had a chance to try.
1: Good. Yeah, I, I tried to. Um, I mean, you know, there are not a lot of na- names that people will immediately recognise in yeah. the book, um, except for Cervantes. So there's a because I used yeah. the uh, excerpt from Cervantes when Don Quixote goes to goes to Barcelona with Sancho Panza. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that
0: must have been a joy to translate Cervantes.
1: Yes, it was. Uh, it was fun to translate because, uh, you know, I, I'd love to do a translation of the whole novel, but uh, yeah, it was. It, it was fun to do that kind of excerpt.
0: Yeah, like he's so iconic. It's probably just nice to have your name attached to it as well.
1: Yeah, and I think that you know, it it, it kind of uh, gives readers an idea that Barcelona in the 16th and 17th centuries was a was an important port yeah it was full of life uh, and as well as you know being in danger from pirates from Mm. the from the Mediterranean and also uh, bandits from the countryside
0: yeah well I guess the first question we probably should start with is how did you get into translations
1: Basically, I, I I got to know the work of a writer called Juan Goytisolo, who yeah. uh, was born in Barcelona, and I liked his I liked his work, and I tried to uh, get publishers interested in him in the in the uh, in the nineteen late nineteen eighties, um, and succeeded. Uh, uh, North Point Press in San Francisco they wanted to do his autobiography, which had come out, and so I started. Oh, yeah. Uh, translating Juan Goytisolo's autobiography, Forbidden Territory, um, and he—he's a very kind of uh, great 20th-century Spanish writer. So I was kind of fortunate in getting started with a writer like that, and 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 it was kind of strange, really, because I was at that time I was teaching in a big secondary school in in London, and I was teaching yeah. a book. I was teaching a, a kind of travelogue that he wrote to students who came from uh, migrant backgrounds, their parents either came from southern Spain, from Andalusia, or they came from northern Spain, from Galicia, and there were also some, some students whose families had come from the Spanish protectorate in Morocco, and, and I was kind of teaching this book about, uh, about southern Spain which I thought was relevant to them because their their grandparents had migrated because of the poverty, which is what he was describing in the book, but they didn't really relate to it. And so I decided that I would do a a kind of an edition of the book uh, with an introduction that would kind of put it in a historical and social context. And it was through doing that that I got into contact with Juan Goytisolo and he liked it. And so he was pleased, you know, when I said I'd like to translate your autobiography, he said, OK, if, if the publisher will agree, then I'm, I'm happy for you to do that.
0: Yeah, you've been translating for a long time. Um, have you noticed the world of literary translations change much over that period? or
1: It's changed dramatically. I mean, in the English-speaking world, that is. Um, I mean, as you probably yeah. know, uh, we always complain that only 3% of what is published in the English-speaking world is translation. Yeah. Um, although, although that's gone up recently. But when I, when I started translating, uh, after my first book was published, I joined the Translators' Association of, of the yep. United Kingdom, and most of the members of that were, you know, kind of quite elderly. Um, it, was, it seemed like an elderly profession, and, and really they didn't do... I mean, and the Translators' Association did things around contracts and translators' rights, but they, they weren't really a kind of visual presence in in kind of British culture. And I think that's changed. I mean, now the Translators Association membership has probably doubled and it's full of younger people. Uh, you know, there are uh, lots of activities, uh, translation slams, translation conferences, uh, all kinds of events at literary festivals, like, you know, in Edinburgh, yeah. for instance, they have always now events around literary translation. This is this is a big change. Uh, and it's the same in the states the uh there are lots of new younger translations younger translators coming in who are very activist they're very committed um and they they work with another new uh kind of player on the scene which are small publishers small independent publishers who um who, 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 I mean, some even only publish translations. The situation has, has, has really been transformed, although, you know, there are still not enough translations being being published.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, I'm having a hard enough time keeping up with them all, <laughs> but there still needs to be more. Do you think small press and university presses are really what has helped that grow?
1: Well, I think that, uh, I mean, obviously... Uh, Barcelona Tales has come out with uh, Oxford University Press. And Oxford University Press has a series. um, I mean, it's part of a series called City Tales, which are all uh, books of translations of translated stories from Rome, from Paris, um, Amsterdam, uh, Vienna. Um, And I think that uh, Oxford University Press also have a world literature series which is mainly in translation. So, you know, OUP is an example of a, of, of a, you know, a very large university press that um, has for some time been, been, uh, been publishing trans- literary translations.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I, I read along with Barcelona Tales, uh, Lisbon Tales as well. And there was a couple of Portuguese authors there that I was really glad to discover. I definitely need to read more from that. Yes. I read that you translated a number of um, languages, including Portuguese and French and even Catalan. That's right. I was just curious because I don't think there's much, or there's not enough um, people talking about Catalan as a language. I'm just curious, is there much coming out from Catalan language? writers?
1: There's an enormous amount. Uh, I mean, the, there are a lot of very, uh, a lot of young trans, uh, writers, Catalan writers. There's uh, Sanchez Pignol, he wrote uh, a story that was translated as Cold Skin, which was like a big bestseller. Yeah. Um, uh, Alicia Kopf, was um, another, Marte, Marta Uriol's, um, who are the, a younger generation of writers. And I mean, I, I got into translating Catalan when I moved to Barcelona in, uh, in 2003 with my, with, with my partner, who's now my wife, Teresa, Teresa Solana. And uh, I, I, I'd never translated anything from Catalan. And I, I mean, I knew something about Catalan literature, but I was in no way a specialist. And after I'd been there for about two, two years, the publisher wrote to me from from London, Peter Owen, and said, How would you like tra- to translate this novel by Kim Munzo, uh, La Magnitude de la Tragedia, the the enormity of the tragedy? And so that, that was that was where I started. And you know, shortly afterwards Catalonia was the invited country at the Frankfurt Book Fair. And that was very controversial because, it, you know, obviously Catalonia isn't an independent country; um, it's part of it is yeah. part of Spain. So there, there was a lot of controversy over over that happening, but it, it gave a tremendous boost to Catalan literature in translation because, you know, publishers from all of the wo- all over the world suddenly said, well, you know, we need to translate something from Catalan. And what I discovered as I got more and more into Catalan literature. Is that there were there were all these writers from the I mean from the late nineteenth century, and from the and from before the Civil War who were really interesting, like um, I mean in, in the in Barcelona Tales you've got uh, those three short pieces by César um, August Jordana, you know there's that one about yeah. the, about the um, about the the, the the bombers the the, the Italian bom- bombers. Coming over and, and, and bombing Barcelona, and then a couple about what, what it was like in a bar, um, and, and what, 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 what it was like in a hospital during during, during the civil war. Well, I never heard of Jordana, and I got you know I went down, I went to the the national library in Catalonia in, in Barcelona, and, and I kind of looked at all kinds of short stories written by lots of writers I'd never I'd never heard of, and, and I found. You know jordana who's a very kind of original interesting writer with these you know uh, very startling vignettes of what life was like in barcelona under under the blitz because people think of barcelona i would think of guernica the bombing of guernica in the Basque country yeah. Um, yeah. which was which was a horrific uh, kind of blitz and there were also horrific uh, blitz bombings of, of, of barcelona
0: yeah, the reason I asked was because I'm currently reading Death in Spring by Ruda. Oh, yes.
1: And yeah, yeah.
0: it's it's quite wild. And, yeah, I've just been fascinated with the whole Catalan and, you know, they're trying to suppress the language during the dictatorship and all that. So, yeah, that's why I was just fascinated by the language and the culture there.
1: Yeah, and then I've translated uh, Josette Pla. Uh, a book called the grey notebook and a book of short stories called life life embitters he's a great great kind of writer and uh, he'd never been translated into into he died in sort of i mean was complete he he died in the 1980s um and he'd never been translated into english so it's great that you know the uh, New York Review of Books wanted to do the Gray Notebook, and uh, a, mm. a another New York publisher, Archipelago, have done Life and Bitters. It's a short piece by a story by him in the in, Bar- in Barcelona Tales. Um, yeah. And then there's the uh, he doesn't figure in Barcelona Tales, but Uncertain Glory. It's one of the greatest novels of the Spanish Civil War written in, um, written in Catalan by somebody who fought in the Civil War, Juan Salas um, so yes, I mean, I think you mentioned rudereda I think rudereda is really probably the only uh modern writer of Catalan who who was visible um, before yeah. the Frankfurt book Fair. Um, and, and 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 recent translations.
0: Um, how do you, how do you go about picking
1: the authors you want to translate, or do you just? I kind of obviously new authors, uh, and I thought, well, I, I want to have a tra- uh, a story by Kim Munzo. I really love uh, the writing of Juan Marce. I mean, he's he he's a well translated I mean, well translated author from uh, into writes in Spanish, and he's been translated. Uh, uh, his novels have been translated, so I wanted a story by him. I wanted a story by Ruderreda, but most of the stories by Rudereda had already been published. Yeah. so um, I, I, I was looking for other uh, for things that hadn't been published. How did I go about it? Well, as I said, I spent some time in the library in uh, Barcelona, kind of reading books of short stories by authors I hadn't read. I wrote to literary agents asked them to yeah. to send me you know if they had anything kind of that they thought would be suitable and uh, for instance the the story about the uh the guy who walks up to, to the top of the hill you know the three the three steps yeah um that story i mean i i kind of like that story because it's really a homage to quan marseille so it kind of fits nicely and kind of the Marseille story is set in the in the in the in the nineteen forties when life is uh, pretty difficult with the dictatorship, with the yeah. lack of the lack of food, the poverty, and, and he, he kind of focuses on these kind of working class kids who live in El Carmelo, which is a kind of top of the of the hill in the south of the south of the city, and he um, he's very much influenced by noir film. Um, and I thought that the, the three steps was a, I mean, it, it shows what that area is like many years later after Franco has gone. And the, the narrator is somebody who'd kind of been in Europe on an Erasmus scholarship it's a, and goes down, walks down into the center of town when it's Saint Jordi, and the, all the people are kind of buying books and buying a rose, which is the big tradition on April the 23rd in, in, in Barcelona. Um, so that that was a story by by Miguel Molina that came to me through his literary 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 agent.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the noir ones. I did notice you did some Havana a Havana series that looks very noirish that kind of piqued my interest.
1: Yes, that's um, uh, do you, do uh, La, Leonardo Padura. The, yeah, the, there's that's the. One. havana quartet yeah i mean he's he's a, a a great noir writer who has this uh police inspector called mario conde who um is somebody who was kind of as a young man he and his friends were very pro the revolution and uh and now in the in the 1980s which is late 1980s which is when the novels are set he's he and his friends have become kind of Disillusioned, and it's a it's a kind of critical, uh, ironic portrayal of life in Havana um, yeah. by a cop who is a who is a writer who want who who would love to be a writer and whose ideal is uh, Salinger. Um he, yeah. wants, he wants to be the Cuban Salinger.
0: <laughs> yeah, that kind of like really set, appealed to me. It's definitely a, a series I need to check out. Like, I like how you do like a different, like a range of different styles of translations. Is that something you've always wanted to do? Like, try and, uh, different genres and different styles?
1: Well, I, I I kind of like reading all kinds of literature. And I feel that as a literary translator, it's, um, it, the, each genre ha- gives different challenges. I mean, translating, uh, some a classic writer like Suzette and who has lots of kind of very detailed descriptions of landscape or cityscapes or Germany during the in the at the time of the Weimar well the of the de, hyperinflation and deflation, very 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 kind of ironic and somber stories at the end of life in bitters, and then to go to um, a writer like Padura, the Cuban writer that you just mentioned, who. Is writing noir, but noir that is is really quite literary. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it's a challenge to, as you know, obviously, what counts for a translator is the is the English that the tra- you know you as a translator create when you're rewriting something that was written in you know in my case in Spanish or Catalan or French or Portuguese, and actually rewriting and reinventing English to try and capture something that was written in another language. I mean, that, that's the kind of challenge for, for a literary translator. Um, I mean, I did a book by Jordi Punti, the Catalan writer, uh, which was, um, it's a kind of short autobiography, uh, sorry, biography of uh, Leo Messi, the footballer. Yeah. And he, he kind of imagines that Leo Messi is like uh, Italo Calvino, <laughs> I mean, he, he, he does everything that Calvino says that a writer should do with his feet as a footballer. Um, you know, and some people might think, oh, well, you know, why, why do you want to translate a book about Leo Messi? Well, you know, why not translate a book about by Leo Messi? <laughs> yeah.
0: Can you speak about your method? Like, translation's a real art or How do you go about when you go into translating something?
1: Well, I always read the book first. There are, there are some translators who say that they don't read the book first. Well, I, I do read the book first. It may be because I started with Juan Solo, who is really a difficult modernist writer. And, yeah. uh, you know, you had to kind of, I had to read him first to, to uh, I couldn't just plunge into to, to, to translating him. So I read the book um, and then I do a first draft. And I always do try and fi- finish a first draft before before doing a, a a kind of a second edit. so I kind of try and get the whole of the of the of the work into my head so that my kind of brain is working on it. Um, and then when I've got that first draft done, I'll have a second read which will be on screen. so I read the whole the whole work again on screen, making making lots of changes without looking at the original. and then I do a printout. And I'll read the read the first printout again without looking at the original, just concentrating on the on the tone, on the style, on the rhythm of the of, of the English, and and kind of checking out difficulties. You know, there might be things that there might be sentences I don't understand. There might be references to, I don't know, something historical or geographical or political that I need to to research. Or there might be something that some particular sequence of language that 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 you know I'm not familiar with the with the with the with the language in English, for instance I've done, I'm doing um, a, another book by Pla for Archipelago called Salt Water, which is a sh- sea stories written by Pla, and it's full of uh, vocabulary of the sea of boats of rigging, of fish, and uh, you know it's. Uh, for a start I don't you know I have to research the words in Catalan then I have to think of you know what, I, what what part of the boat is that or what kind of fish is that and then have to work out how I'm going to do that in English and that is really very you know it's, it's kind of time-consuming because you have to look at lots of glossaries and I'm translating it for an American publisher so often the words for fish or bits of boat are not the same in the UK as, oh, they, yeah. are in, uh, as they are in the US, or probably in Australia, which is, yeah. uh, you know. So there are all, all of those kind of tricky things that have to be ironed out. And I start thinking about them. Well, I will, I will start thinking about when, when I do my first read-through. Anyway, then, when I've done my uh, – then I'll do a, a kind of fourth read, which will be comparing – going back to the original – and sentence by sentence going through the whole work just to make sure that I haven't you often kind of jump a sentence or jump out you know jump an adjective uh, because you want to reflect in the translation every everything and you don't want to miss out miss out sentences or miss out particular adjectives that may be crucial um, and if you're translating you know the plough books are you know like 300,000 words long so yeah you know you can't keep all of that in your head you, so you need all of these kind of you need these systems of checks and you need to think about what 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 has to be researched I and mean, do you need a footnote i'm not I'm not great greatly in favor of footnotes uh, but sometimes a footnote is necessary um, you know some again some translators say that they read everything aloud I don't read it, I don't read everything aloud because I think that you know kind of back you know in I read in my head and I can hear in my head, the sound of the of the, of the of the of the of the of the English library.
0: You mentioned a lot of tricky authors. Does that give you uh, like present extra challenges with their complexities and layers?
1: Well, be, uh, yeah, sure. Um, if you're if you're like Juan Guetisolo, um, several of his works are like parodies. There's one book by him called A Cockeyed Comedy, which is. Um, Basically, it's a critique of, of the Opus Dei and the role of the Opus Dei, but it's a kind of burlesque farce. And in the, he kind of follows through um, a priest um, who didn't, I mean, he's a fictional priest, and he gets the, the, this priest in, in all kinds of sort of queer situations, and, and he uses um, texts going back to the Spanish Middle Ages that had to do with uh, queer sex, and he kind of parod- parodies them, and he also um, looks at kind of different political texts. Um, I mean, sometimes, you know, speeches by by fascist writers from the 1930s or politicians. And so, you know, how, how do you kind of um, get a, get an English to, deal, to, to kind of deal with that? Well, I, I kind of, you know, in terms of the medieval and the Renaissance stuff that he was parodying, I kind of went to Chaucer and, and Shakespeare, um, essentially. Um, and not that you can kind of copy things directly from Shakespeare or Chaucer, but you can get you kind of the odd words or vocabulary because he will use in his, I mean, Sola would use in his modern text, uh, you know, words that have gone out of use that come from the Middle Ages. So I would have to try and um, you know, kind of find, find words uh, like that from the from old from old from old English, yeah. and I remember with a with a fa- fascist. Um, I mean, I used um, m- speeches by Mosley. I read speeches by Mosley, or you know, not that Thatcher is a fascist, but she she said some pretty kind of uh, right wing things. So I was able, yeah. you know, particularly in relation to the Falklands War, uh, which I was able to use um, in the translation of Guilty Solo. So yeah, but I mean that's that that is a, if you think about it, it's what I mean. Writers, I mean, Solid obviously had to, you know, he researched all of that when he was writing the original. So it's 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 kind of, you know, the, the activity of the translator in that sense has has to parallel the, the, the what what the the writer has done in creating the original text. But that's part of the creativity and yeah enjoyment of translation people say oh well it, it's kind of um, you know you're just sitting there and that your work to, you know laptop all day um it, it, you never move it's kind of working on something that's been written by some by somebody else but you know i find it, it's very creative and you're thinking well you know i'm you know bringing into english something that doesn't exist in english which will then be read by people in Chicago or Melbourne or, or I mean, for instance, the, the, the editor who edited my translation of, of Uncertain Glory was an editor who worked with Penguin India. I mean, he's, he lives yeah. in India and he really liked Uncertain Glory and to the extent that he actually went on to, to bring out a, uh, an Indian edition of, uh, of, Uncertain, uh, of Uncertain Glory uh, in, in my English translation. So you never know where your translations are going to lead, but they always lead to new to new readers uh, for 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 for, write, for Catalan writers or whoever.
0: Hmm. Right. Yeah, I guess Google Translate can't do any of that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the problem with Google, I mean, the, um, is that you know Google can't get nuances. Yeah, that's you right. Know, a, you know, you have an adjective. I don't know, say like yellow. Well yellow can mean yellow the color but it can also have it can mean all kinds of other things and you know google google translates can't can't kind of work on ambiguity
0: yeah. <laughs> no it really is an art form and you don't get much appreciation for that so thank you for all your hard work
1: not at all <laughs> I, I think that actually there's much more uh recognition of translators now you know the reprises like the Booker, the yeah. Booker International, um, so they're giving kind of higher visibility to to, to yeah. translators. Do you think and that it's been a
0: huge boost? The Booker International has, I other think surprises.
1: so. I, yeah, I think it is, uh, and particularly you know the the vegetarian was the yeah got it. You know, it was that, that made it, that, that made a major impact in the English speaking world which then made a major impact back in Korea and, yeah. and, and transformed the kind of life and career of, of, of Han Kang in, in very unexpected ways. Um, and that was all, you know, all down to, the, to Deborah Smith's translation. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, that that's a, an excellent example of how a literary prize can boost a foreign, yeah. a foreign writer in the English-speaking world.
0: I think it definitely has boosted this career in literature coming out. That's for sure. Yeah. Are you working on anything now that you could talk about? Or
1: yeah, I'm working on uh, on a, on a novel by Balzac,
0: okay, uh,
1: yeah. Lys dans la Vallée*, which is a novel that Balzac wrote in the in 1835. And uh, Balzac was a, an author that I kind of. When I started reading foreign literature, it was at school when I was yeah. sixteen and seventeen, and I started. I was doing kind of advanced French, and I started reading short stories by Balzac. So I'm really pleased. It's like um, to, to now to be actually translating a novel, a novel by Balzac, and that's for the, the New York Revo- Review of Books Classics series, which is a, yeah. a, an excellent, uh, yeah, an, a, an an excellent series. So I, I'm 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 doing that. I'm I'm translating a book by Najat Al Hashmi, who has a short story in Barcelona Tales. Yeah, you know the, the one about the two sisters from a from a yeah, yeah, yeah. from a from a Moroccan family who live in a provincial town. The two sisters get bored with that and they go and move it to Barcelona, and then they follow different paths in the big city. Well, Najat has got uh, Najat Al Hashmi has got uh, a new novel which is called uh, Mara de, <coughs> de Lietimel, Mother of Milk and Honey which is a very fine novel about the experience of migration of a oh, single yeah. mother who is living in a, in a, in a, in a village in the, in the Rift Valley in Morocco and the, the, she marries the husband more or less disappears and she's left living with this child with her mother-in-law and she doesn't get on with her mother-in-law it's very kind of claustrophobic and she decides that she's going to leave so she starts on a journey that takes her and her daughter to, uh, to, to Spain she ha- and, and this woman is illiterate she knows nothing about, about Spain but she has this address on the back of an envelope that her husband sent sent to her uh, and uh, she goes to find him in the uh, vic a provincial city in catalonia and it's a very moving novel about the migration of this of this single woman with her with her baby and it's she's very um, very courageous very fearful um but at the same time very 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 courageous and i think that the the novel describes in a unique way what that experience of migration is in this case it's not a it's not an economic migration it's not a really a, a kind of straightforwardly political migration it's she's just escaping from a claustrophobic situation family family situation but uh, every it's a novel that kind of i would think would speak to anybody uh, who who sees what's happening on the you know the borders in mexico the united states or yeah. what's happening in 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 you know kind of in in dover in in the uk or in cali the the, the 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 feelings that go through the minds of of people who are forced to to migrate and leave leave behind their countries so yeah and, and i think that uh you know well najat najat is the really the first um like, writer from a from a from a migrant background to really rise to prominence in Catalonia and in Spain, um, because yeah. it's unlike Australia or all the states or all the UK, there aren't many writers from uh, or hardly any writers from from minority backgrounds who kind of make it to the to the national uh, yeah. media, for instance. So I'm, I'm 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 kind of very thrilled to be to to be translating this this novel, and it's, I'm translating it for a for a publisher called uh, Francis Bootle, who I don't know if you have ever come across them, but they have um, they 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 specialize in uh, Francis Bootle specializes in translating literature from minority languages or in threatened wow. languages. So you know they publish books from they've just published a big book of writing uh, translated from Scots Gaelic uh, oh, they've, wow. trans- they've done a, a, a book from uh, Faroese they've done a big book of Occitan literature and 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 Clive Bootle who is the publisher there they've just he's, he's published now four work for four works from from Catalan as well Wow. Um, I'll have to yeah. check that out yeah I think what he's doing is is probably unique in the English-speaking world
0: yeah, yeah. Um, it's hard to find some of those minority languages.
1: Yeah, he has a, a big book of Galician literature, Galicia from, from North, northwestern Spain. Yeah. Uh,
0: Gallego. Yeah. I uh, will check that out because that sounds yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah. So thank you so much for agreeing to do this.
1: Not um, at all. It's a pleasure.
0: Are there any books you want to recommend that you've translated that we haven't talked about? all of them well, I think
1: <laughs> yeah, the, there are so many really uh, yeah I think the Marx Family Saga by Juan Guatisolo which is a version of the life of Marx and his family I think oh, that's, yeah. a, that's a great a great a, a great read it was published by Faber and Faber in the UK and by yeah. City Lights in the States I think that came out in the in the sort of mid, mid sort of 90s I think that's a, a very a, a great novel um, about Karl Marx, and it's very, it's very relevant today because it's as if it, it kind of, Marx was a was a, alive today. So, it, the, the the there was some powerful stuff in there about the Russian mafia and the role of the Russian okay. mafia in Europe and so on. So it's very, wow. it's a very, it's a very surreal, anarchic novel like like most of um Solo's books.
0: That definitely know. sounds like something for me as so, well. <laughs> yeah, you
1: know, try the Marx family saga.
0: Yeah, I definitely will. Thank you so much. Uh, Not at all. So Barcelona Tales is the reason we got you on the podcast, but you've got YYY as well. Okay. That's out now. If you want to support Lost in Translations, please go to patreon.com forward slash translations pod and all money there will help support the show. And please remember to subscribe, and while subscribing, please rate the show. This will help others find the podcast. All our links to social media are in the show notes, and you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and let Under Translations Pod. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Walgaruka Bar and Bindul people. We acknowledge their ownership of this land and all the traditional owners in Australia and acknowledge their care of the land. This is a cauliflower production.